Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. All right. Oh, it's working. There we go. Good morning, everybody. Morning. All right. I I don't have I don't follow baseball so um but I do know what it's like I'm a Niners fan so I can I can have empathy and grief with you so we don't have to all have the same problems to be in community together so thank you for allowing me to um, all right. Let's see. Is it working? All right. If it keeps popping, I'm just going to do handheld. But all right. Look at that. There we go. Good morning. All right. Sheesh. All right. What's wrong with my shirt? What's going on? Okay. All right, that's a good. That's always a good start. We're off to a really good start. Um, good morning. This morning, I am excited. My name is Ryan. If we haven't met, I'm the teaching pastor here, and I get to lead our teaching team. But one of the other things is I have a really rad job that I get to spend the majority of my week listening to good, sound teaching, studying the Bible, and talking to other pastors about what it is that we sense the Holy Spirit up to in Long Beach. And I um, left a period of time between our last series that we just ended where I just opened it up to the teaching team and I said, teach us whatever it is that's on your heart. And I think that that was amazing. And last week we got to hear Miss Mary, the children's and family pastor of our community. So we got to hear her and it was really encouraging and beautiful. And I specifically and intentionally left a period of time between that ending and Advent because I did not want to just plan a teaching uh, Ehrman's series at the start of the year, um, knowing that it would probably be good to leave some room open and, and be paying attention to what is the Spirit up to and what do we need right now in our moment. And in the conversations I've been having with a lot of pastors, this word has come up quite a bit. Discernment. How do we, how do we have wisdom in the midst of chaos? And so I wanted to talk about these rhythms of wisdom in the midst of chaos. And so as the teaching pastor, I am really encouraged because this is a topic or a word that comes up a lot when we are studying the Bible. Uh, we talk quite a bit in this community about how very often very contra contradictory things come up in our lives like joy, sorrow, rest or action, speaking or being quiet, being resilient or being an advocate. There's a lot of things that come up and they challenge us to know what is the right step of action to take. And the definition that I've found was the ability to judge well or per 
perception in the absence of judgment. In in First John four one and in First Thessalonians five twenty one, it talks about the the Christian response responsibility to test all things and hold fast to what is true, to test things, knowing that there's a lot of things being thrown at us at all times, and how are we meant to apply wisdom in the midst of that? And so I have a definition um, that I came up with, and it is discernment is the skill of deciding between good options. The skill of deciding between good options. And very often what will be thrown at us are two, two options, and we have to pick, and they both seem very possible. They both seem like they might be equally right. And how do we discern what it is the Spirit might be speaking to us? And depending on how it is aimed to us as well, we might actually be thinking of what are the costs of not choosing a particular option. And they seem equally horrible. How do we choose what to do in the midst of that? And so I want to put up a slide, and it just looks like... Uh, it's the next one. What's the next slide? I want to, uh, next one actually. <laughs> Sorry. So there is a test that I recently heard about. It was in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology in 2006, and it split the room in half, and it prepared that half of the room and said, I we will pay you a dollar for every time you see a number pop up and you have to click a button within two seconds and it would, and it flashed a bunch of things on the screen. And so they paid that half of the room to see a number and that's what they told them. And then this half, they said, we will pay you for every time you see a letter. And they flashed a lot of things on the screen to them and what was really interesting is guess what happened when this popped up now the font is not the exact same the the font that i used that did not translate into the powerpoint so it's ruining my whole point right now but it was much more ambiguous when you would see the one and the three that close is both that side and that side would click their buzzer because they saw what they wanted to see. They saw what they were motivated ahead of time to see. That there was actually something that was happening inside of them that, that pointed them, and it's called motivated reasoning. And it's that all of us are constantly, especially when things are thrown at us and it's not completely clear, our first intuition is to see what we want to to see what we already think. And so I, um, I have an example of this, that at the end of 2020, I, was, uh, I also do a lot of travel photography, and I was, uh, I was meant to take a flight, and it got canceled because of COVID. But I was working through a travel, a travel agency, and the travel agency refunded my flight, but then the air line called me also and said, hey, we heard that your flight was canceled. Um, would you like a credit on your account? And I thought, wow, this is a chance for me to get a double refund here. This is great. This is the Lord's blessing. Okay, the Lord's looking after me. 
So it was one of those moments where I knew I was not discerning anything. This was not a matter of discernment. This is a matter of I, this is me having to choose between something that was clearly wise and something that was clearly not wise. Um, and against all my better judgment, I chose to tell them the truth and I did not get the double refund so I could stand in my conscience. But um, there's a quote I heard once also that says, all of my anger feels like righteous anger right? All of our anger feels like righteous anger. We are constantly looking for things to justify what we already think, what we already feel. And so how in a world where we are so empowered to do that, do we slow down enough to, to get discernment? What can we do? How do we do it? And so the next slide will show that the top, should I scroll social media until 4 a.m. That is not a matter of discernment. That is a matter of you know what the wise choice is, and it's just up to you to make the wise choice. It is a direct line. Knowledge says no. Wisdom is acting on it. Or the question could be, should I change my career? There's a lot more to that. There's a lot of things that you might need to think in and actually have discernment. And so the path between knowledge and wisdom in that instance might look a little messier. And how do, we, how do we actually apply that? And so Hebrews 5.14, it says that solid food is for the mature, for the ones who by constant practice are evaluating between what is good and evil. This constant practice, that is why I'm calling these rhythms. These are things that as we put them to practice, they might not... They might not do it right away, but it will set you up for a better pattern of how do we actually get wisdom into things that are very comp complex. I want to read a quote by Rohr, and he says, The spiritual gift of discernment is when good things can be recognized sometimes as bad things and vice versa. Discernment has largely been undeveloped among ordinary Christians, except among those good Jesuits. It invites people into both and rather than simplistic either or. This is the difference between merely having correct information and the spiritual gift of wisdom. Both knowledge and wisdom are good, but wisdom is much better. It demands the maturity of discernment, which is what it takes to develop a truly consistent ethic of life. So these are the rhythms for wisdom in the midst of chaos. So if I haven't convinced you already, we need discernment as Christian people when we just have a constant flood of things telling us how to think, how to vote, how to argue. And all of these things are flooding at us all the time telling you not only is that an option, but this is the holy, this is the right option. This is what you should do. And so when we have a world flooding us with constant and contradictory information all the time, we as Christian people should be leading the charge and saying, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to practice discernment at this moment. Because we don't live in a world that often gives us the space to do that exact thing that we need to do. And so we need to build that space for ourselves. And the Christian church needs to be the place where, especially what we do here on a Sunday morning, is practice discernment in community with each other. And so um, a couple 
of examples from my life in Hickville. Um, I hope that some of these will land. How many people have ever heard the word Gravitron? Does the word Gravitron, the, does, okay, good. Gravitron, okay, if you don't know what this is, this is going to sound insane. It's evidence that my parents did not care about me as a child. Um, but the Gravitron was this, it was a ride at the air, which was a flying tosser that just spun. That's all it was. And you walk in and you had a carny just smoking, just watching people sit in their seats. And it was these panels that lined the inside on the circumference. And as it spun, the gravity would push you against your chair. So now I think they've had it at the OC fair. I think it's long since been outlawed. But um, the this ride, as I got older, became much less enjoyable or comfortable to ride. And I remember the last time I was on it, as a kid, I would flip upside down on my seat. I would hold things. I'd move around. There was no laws in the Gravitron. You could do whatever you wanted. But I was so uncomfortable that the only way that I could keep myself from being totally ill was I sat still and I looked at the person in the middle and I just focused my eyes on him and I said, I'm just going to wait till this ride is over. This is not fun anymore. But if I could lock my eyes onto one spot, if I could lock my eyes, if I could find something that was constant in the middle of this spinning thing, I knew I could survive. If I could just lock my eyes onto something constant. Um, one other thing that happened, I would drive from Bishop to Reno, and there was a time where I was driving through a blizzard. And it wasn't a blizzard that was just coming down. There was a lot of wind, and so what that would happen what would happen would be it would make the snow on the on the street look like this. And I don't know if you've ever driven in that, but that is much more disorienting and it's much more confusing because you actually cannot see a consistent path. Everything's moving like this. And I re remember because I was trained that in order to survive that, I needed to slow down enough to see the next white line and that was it that you just have to you have to pay attention and you have to be going slow enough that you can see the next white line and in psalms 119 verse 105 it says the word is a lamp unto my feet a light unto my path sometimes all we have is the next white line sometimes in the middle of all this chaos discernment looks like slowing down enough to see the next white line the next step. And often, and especially in our world now, it encourages you when things get crazy, don't slow down, speed up. And that's the opposite of what Christian people should be doing when things get crazy. And so we can't press on to discernment because obviously there are some questions that require discernment and others that are clearly wise, but it sounds to me like we cannot press on to discernment until we actually look at what wisdom is. And so I want to show a little video about what wisdom is, and then we will go on from there. Yeah. Question? Did I hear a question? Oh, bless you. I was like, question. Oh, we're going into a different world of church world where we're just asking questions. I, I like it. Okay. <laughs> 
There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life. Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective, and it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights, things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah, and it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokhmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokhmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokhmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes, that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes, in fact, chokmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokmah when you put it to work and develop the skill of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom. But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Chokmah isn't some impersonal force. It's an attribute of God himself. And so in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them. Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah, those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs about any and all aspects of life. And Chokmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success, and no matter what you do. If I design my life with these sayings, life is going to be good. Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs.
The book of Proverbs is really beautiful, but if we take a step back, some people would argue it's a little too simplistic because sometimes horrible things happen to really wise people and sometimes oh. foolish people get rewarded. It doesn't always work the way we think it should work. That's right, which is why we need to go and listen to our next wise friend, Ecclesiastes the Critic, because he's wrestled with that very problem and he's going to push us further in our journey to find the good life. So, as we'll see here, it feels to me, and I might be totally alone on this, but it feels like we live in a world that needs a lot more understanding of sort of that Ecclesiastes world, where it feels really confusing how to press forward when things aren't clear. What are we meant to do when bad things happen to good people? where good things happen to people who are making bad choices. How do we live in a world like that? And so even if you don't hear anything else, I would encourage you, as we study discernment, go read the book of Ecclesiastes. I think that would be a great place to start. But it seems like before we even get there, we need to look at wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom the fear of the Lord. And I want to go back and I want to read a, um, a portion of Deuteronomy where it, where it talks about this exact same concept and it says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on you and your ancestors and loved them and he chose you, their descendants above all the nations as it is today circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff necked any longer for the lord your god is god of gods and lord of lords the great god mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes he defends the the, the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you giving them food and clothing and you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in egypt fear the lord your god and serve him hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name he is the one you praise he is your god who performed for you the, those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes your ancestors who went down to egypt were Seventy and all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so we see here, sandwiched between this, this concept of fear of the Lord and fear of the Lord, is this whole picture of what does that look like? What does it mean to fear a Lord? Because when we talk about fear, we talk it often comes with terror. A, a constant panic about punishment. And what it says here is the fear of the Lord is this reverence that moves us to action, to obedience. But not only that is that when we fear the Lord, we also recognize his image in his creation. Fearing the Lord means that we understand that the image of God rests on other people. 
And when we understand that, there is a reverence, not just in our private prayer, but in how we treat other people. There's a reverence. There's an understanding. There's an awe that says, you carry the image of this awesome God on you. That should cause us some pause anytime that we cast judgment. That should cause us some pause anytime that we are so quick to make assumptions about other people. We should stop and go, they carry the image of God on them. How is my reverence, how is my fear of the Lord playing out here? That is the start of wisdom. And we can't get to the point of discerning anything if we skip past that part. If we skip past the part where we have a reverence and an awe, but also we posture ourselves to be obedient, to be shaped. Romans 12.2 says that we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, that it's not just arguing for what we currently think, but that all of us are constantly placing ourselves into the posture where we can be shaped, where we can be adjusted, where we can be changed. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says that this is that the, dis, the discernment that we need to have a well-formed life is a gift that we can pursue. And so it's meant to be this, this thing that, that, that we long for, that we actually seek, that we say, Lord, this world is a confusing place. And the temptation, especially as things go really quick, is to think what we already think. Um, can I go to the next slide that was up? I think it has a quote on there. So in the chaotic world of instant and constant information, if patient discernment needed to hear challenge or correction is demonized as complacency, the only thing we will conclude in our waiting will be what we what first rises to the surface, and that is always what we already think. I'm going to repeat that one more time. In the chaotic world of instant and constant information, if patient discernment needed to hear challenge or correction is demonized as complacency. The only thing we will conclude in our waiting will be what we first will be what first rises to the surface, and that is always what we already think. It takes a moment of pause because when I see the one and the three pop up, I ha I have to acknowledge that I actually have something inside me that is motivating me to see it either as a thirteen or a B right? Like I have something that's, that's coming up in me from how I was raised, from everything I've been taught. We all have a bibliography that is at play at all times. We all have that. And in order to see what is actually coming up and to have this discernment between two possibly great options or two possibly horrible options, and, but we need to pick one in order to move forward in life, one of the things that we have to do is we have to lock our eyes on that middle point. Lock our eyes. And that often means how well do we actually understand the gospel of Christ? How, uh, if, if we had to memorize any one thing, I would say look at the gospels. Get to know Jesus. Look at him. So that when things get crazy, your eyes can lock in on one point. 
because I'm telling you, it seems like if I open up my, my AP news app and I scroll for more than one flick up on my phone, I'm like, this is insane. The things happening that are just constant every single day just make my head spin. And it's so hard to read these things. And I know that the call is not to bury our heads. Our call is to actually find out how and where do we engage this world that is very complex and very painful. But sometimes I think that the, the unfortunate reality is that sometimes we put it all on us. We put everything on us. And there's a quote by St. Francis at the end of his life. He said, I have done what is mine to, to do. May Christ teach you what is yours. I have done what is mine to do. May Christ teach you what is yours. And so each week, rather than coming out of here with like a three-step plan on, okay, how do I pick between the next thing, I think the Christian church, I think LBCAF needs to actually not speed up, not try to do one more thing, not try to apply one more thing, but to learn in wisdom how do we slow down enough to pay attention to what that next white line is. Because I don't think we often know. We're trying everything. And a lot of times it won't work, but I don't want to, in my faith, a life just constantly be throwing paint on a wall over and over again. I want to feel like the Holy Spirit is guiding me, leading me. And so I think that a question that might help us slow down enough are the three questions on the next slide. This was put together by Uzan Stabil. She is an author and an Enneagram expert, and it's based on that St. Francis quote says, what is mine to do and what is not mine to do? What is mine to say? What is not mine to say? What is mine to care about? And what is not mine to care about? And I just want to pause there. And I'm going to close by reading a quote by Nadia Boltz Weber based on these questions. It says, it is not an issue of values. It is an issue of math. We are still living through a global pandemic, and that means the baseline of of anxiety and grief is higher than ever, and it's shared by everyone. The world is on fire literally and metaphorically, but I only have so much water in my bucket to help with the fires. The more exposure I have to the fires, I have no water to fight, the more likely I am to get so burned and inhale so much smoke that I cannot help anymore with the fires close enough to fight once my bucket is full. So I try to tell myself that it is okay to focus on one fire. It's okay to do what is yours to do. Say what's yours to say. Care about what's yours to care about. That's enough. If if immigration reform is yours to do, if it is your fire you have to throw water on, thank you. And that is enough. There will be voices telling you, but what about climate? What about climate change? 
you don't care about you don't care that the planet is dying tune that out i mean you could turn around and ask the environment a mentalist the same thing but there is no percentage in that instead we could be so grateful for the people who are called to work on and respond to worthy 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 issues that are not fires we ourselves are equipped to put out so i want to encourage us that as we start to look at how do we discern that you would give yourself the grace and the patience to understand what is yours to care about and what is not and that we don't judge each other because we don't have the same fires to put out but we get encouraged and we encourage others that they are putting those out that we are so grateful that there are people here who are caring about things that you yourself might not have the capacity to care about in the same way but i'm but i honestly think everyone here has a fire to put out everybody here has something that's close to their heart and as the church i would pray that we would have the wise discernment to pause when our temptation is to judge each other that other people don't care about the thing as much as you do and be grateful and slow down enough to see that next white align the holy spirit pointing us to the next thing that we are called to and i think that that might be the most countercultural thing that we can do as things are constantly speeding up that we would be people who would be free and non-anxious enough to slow to pay attention. So can you put those three questions back up on the screen? And I'm going to allow two minutes and just kind of take those in, see what might be coming up for you in your spirit. And then I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and those serving communion. And then we will close out. 